Hello and welcome to episode 505 of Ferg on the Freak. I'm the Flexing Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Dude, it happened. We, it happened. It we happened. did it. We did oh it. My goodness. We did it. Hey, the you know how? Back. Uh, I was going to say, you know how you you're so um they've been in four straight premierships. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, four four straight grand finals. Sorry, three straight premierships. Yeah. I can now confidently say I know what that feels like. Tell people. The the biggest. The biggest opponent that the West Tigers have been struggling with for decades themselves mm-hmm. have been brought to their knees in the best possible way because it's on their knees praying to God, thanking him because the board have all been sacked and Potato has resigned. The misery is over. Yeah. I can't think of that happening outside of... When the, I think the Parramatta Eels were forced, the entire board was forced to resign, and that was by the New South Wales government. So for this to happen to the to the West Tigers, and I, you know, it's basically West Ashfield told them that this was happening. For it to all happen in one go is fantastic for Tiger supporters, and I think it. W- I have a feeling that it was probably. I I feel like maybe the NRL said to West Ashfield, listen. You sort this out or we will. And West Ashfield has sorted it out. So it's it's a good day for the West Tigers and West Tigers fans. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I dare say there's already, I haven't looked any further, but I dare say there's already talk that Brydens are going to abandon the sponsorship deal with them. I see they've still got their logo on the main website, but I wouldn't be surprised if they pull all that before 2024 starts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and couldn't give a fuck. Yeah, they'll get a new sponsor. Um, even the Cronulla Sharks ended up getting a new sponsor. So, you know, there's enough eyeballs in rugby league that there'll be someone out there wanting to put their logo on the jersey. Um, and it just shows you don't have those conflict of interests at clubs. You don't have your major sponsor being the chairman of the board. It's just silly. It's a mess. So we'll go through some of the, the points in the uh, West Tigers um, official statement about it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that always gets me about this, not just for the Tigers, but for all clubs, is when they've gone and sacked someone, they come out and say, the West Tigers are grateful for Justin's leadership. <laughs> if you're grateful for it, you wouldn't be sacking him or you wouldn't be letting him, you know, walk away from the job. Yeah, yeah. And believe he'll be successful in his future endeavours, probably as a large fries at McDonald's. He might end up uh, selling hats at another club. I, I don't know, man. I, he, he strikes me as someone who'll probably end up doing the uh, sponsorship management at uh, at Australian Rugby Union. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you'll That's seem right. like working at the Royal Easter Show or something. Something weird like that, you know. Just, just manning the gates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Counting the tickets. <laughs> um, so here are the key changes. Former Premier Barry O'Farrell will be interim chairman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. O'Farrell was previously West Tigers chairman in 2019 before taking up a role as High Commissioner to India. Now, I've got a feeling Barry might have been the one to oversee 
either Pasco coming into the role or the hat stand. It was one of those two because one of those two came to the club in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, Shane Richardson will be interim CEO. Um, That's probably one of the more astute signings that they've had in quite a while in the boardroom. Because the West Tigers have never really had anyone with any level of nous at any level other than maybe, geez, Steve Noyce, I guess. Yeah, it's going back a fair way, isn't it? Um, Yeah. You know, I guess it's those two, their names were put forward in in the media. And look, I think the thing about this big turnover now is that there are no scapegoats. So everyone's job is basically on the line again and everyone will be accountable again, hopefully anyway. So to have their names out there, and then Benji Marshall, obviously, is the head coach. Is, his job is on the line as well because we've talked about this before. When somebody comes in and, you know, they're the general manager or the CEO or chairman or whoever, they normally like to have their people as running the club and their people as the head coach. And so Benji now has a new, a new uh, boss, and he has to do the job for that new boss because he's the weak link now. Like the the board has changed now, the CEO has changed. Now, if they have a really bad season coming up, the easiest thing to do would be to sack Benji. So there's a lot of pressure on him now. Um, but yeah, it, look, anything is better than what was there before. You know, Absolutely. if they if they said we've got buckets of sand. And they're going to be in charge now. He'd be like, you know what? Them buckets of sand, they're going to be around for a long time. They're not well, going anywhere. I was going to offer my fan in the stand cardboard cutout because a, it could do a better job, and b, you know where the tiger's office is to go. You can just take it back to where you got it from. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Park it in there. Go home. Yep. Could have worked. It's got um, some stains on it. I have to get rid of. But after that. that that's fine. That's all. You can just leave them on there. It's fine. It wouldn't look too okay. much different anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, Barry O'Farrell, when he was there before, mm-hmm. wasn't in the media blowing his own horn the whole time and talking West Tiger shit all the time in the media. He kept his fucking face out of the media. He kept his mouth out of the media. He went there and just did his bloody job. Yeah. And that's what the Tigers needs at their – everyone running the club now. They need to be thinking about running the club – not about pushing up their fucking media profile. Yeah, we've seen too much of that. I mean, remember when you Way had the you had a CEO that uh, Mariana Go, I think was yeah, her name. Marina Go. Oh my goodness! And all she did was, you know, have morning tea after morning tea, did nothing. And then you've had Potato, who's been just absolutely useless. You had yeah. the dude with the funny little hat. Yeah, Grant Meyer. Oh, there's just the list goes. Meyer on. was atrocious. He was yeah. the start of this fucking downhill run. Pretty much. He was the one that threw the whole Mick Potter, Robbie Farrah thing, like right in front of the bus, and then walked away and said, "You guys deal with it in front of the media." And any time yeah. the media wants to talk about, you know, the club and management and how they're going to resolve this, he just went, "Robbie, it's over to you." Yeah, really weird. To the point where Farrell got so sick of it, he left a fucking press conference one way under a fence at Leichhardt Oval <laughs> just to get away. Um, genius. But um, Richardson also, um, he was on a podcast earlier this year talking about um, the biggest failing of the West Tigers through its entire existence is they've got this huge, impressive nursery of talent 
They've got all the pathways set up properly. But instead of bringing those players into the first grade side like every other normal club would when they had that sort of thing on their, on their uh, at their lap, like Penrith do, is basically go and try and chase all the players they know they can't get, and it sends a message to all those juniors, you're not getting into this first grade side. And they yeah. go all looking elsewhere. And I'm glad that he pointed that out because hopefully now we've got someone there who says, right, let's stop chasing big-name signings we know we're not going to get. Stop throwing away, pissing up money up the wall on players that we're going to pay much overs for and get unders for as far as performance is concerned and just start, you know, take a hard hit for a few few years performance-wise. I mean, we're used to it. But, you know, at least have it because we're bringing juniors through and we're getting that pathway set up because it won't be... It won't be misery for too long. Yeah. We've, we've seen with Jareem Buller, okay? He's come through instantly, just knocked it out of the park straight away. There's more of those players in the West Tigers juniors. Bring him in. It'll only take him a year or two to get up to speed. You know, have a look at yeah. the bulk of the Panther squad. Didn't take him that long to get up to speed, get up to the NRL standard, and then boom, just blitz it. I'm not saying the West Tigers are going to be the next panel. I'm just saying that's all it takes. A bit of patience and focus on what you have and not on what you want, which is, you know, all these fucking expensive players everywhere. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, things will start to work for you. But you've got to be prepared to do that. And the and that's what a rebuild is. And the Tigers always skip that very, very important step in the rebuild. And so they've never yeah. done one. No, and, and look, it's going to take the board to be strong in that regard and allow that process to happen. And that work starts immediately to get the junior pathways, you know, bringing the talent through and getting the talent integrated into the senior levels of the club. Whether those players don't go on to play first grade or not, you need to get those junior players getting a bit of a taste of the higher grades of football that are ahead of them and start to make it all one club. Um, And it takes time and, you know, it's not going to make them better immediately and that's why you've got to have a strong board that's willing to go through those pains and it look it might not the 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 first few junior players that come out of the system that are really good might not stick around because that tends to happen sometimes but eventually get enough of your juniors come through and they do actually want to stick around and they do want to play at the club and they they know one another you know they've played lower grades together and stuff and that's that's got to be the goal. That should be the goal of every team in the NRL. Um, having seen what Penrith have done in that regard, every single team should be doing the exact same thing. And look, the West Tigers are in an incredible position in terms of the size of their junior base in Sydney, which is only second to the Panthers. Uh, they they should be one of the big, biggest clubs in Sydney. And it's a chance for them to start rebuilding now and, just it's fantastic the, the good thing is that all of them went everyone's yeah, gone no no right. none of them hung on none of them it wasn't like we got rid of the board but ceo's still there or we got rid of the ceo but the board is still there they all went and that's the important thing and it was it was a legit broom like yeah. it was all on the one day as it had to be you couldn't just have a bit here a bit there it's distracting mm-hmm. boom done um the other thing that is also interesting is the board used to be used to comprise of seven members. They've cut it down to four, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing either. Um, so Barry O'Farrell is going to be the chairman of the board. 
there's going to be a representative for each of the Tiger shareholders. Um, Dave Gilbert from the Holman Barnes, which I dare say is West Ashfield. Uh, Danny Stapleton from the Balmain. And there's a nomination to, to come from the Magpies. Um, yeah. I, I'm also a fan of that because there's less chance of stuff being held up, delayed, whatever else. And there's more accountability too on those yes. individuals. So exactly right. if somebody is holding something up, they can name that person. You know, it, it's it's good. It that's what the club needs right now. It's an emergency move, and they need they need an emergency board in place, and they need to make some things happen. And um, I think it's a, it is it's a good move because I think you could. It would be very easy to get a board in place and then like of seven people and then all of a sudden people get comfortable immediately. You know, you get one or two of them are just like, oh, yeah, look, I'm on the board, but I'm just going to keep out the way and stuff. They don't need people like that. They need really focused board. And it sounds like that's what they've gone for. So that's great news. Absolutely. Um, now, they also thanked Chairman Lee. That's what the West Tigers have said. I know mm-hmm. he's. And uh, just for the dedication and hard work for the Tigers. And here's a quote. Lee and Justin faced enormous challenges. <laughs> they made than, them. <laughs> I was going to say, not bigger than the ones they created. But they have left a legacy which gives us a strong base for the future. Yes, because now we know all the things not to do. We know what rock bottom feels like. Yes. We found the bedrock. <laughs> and that is the bedrock we will build upon. <laughs> In particular, they leave us with a world-class centre of excellence and the club is in a stronger financial position because of the relationships they establish with sponsors and other supporters. Well, they just lost the main sponsor and uh, the centre of excellence were paid by the taxpayer. So thank you, taxpayer. (laughs) So that's all they did. They went to the government and said... They can't talk about results. No. Well, obviously not. Um, This is... We all share one goal, to see the West Tigers again, remember that word, again become a real force in the NRL on and off the field. Again. Again, yeah. I don't know if I'd say, you know. <laughs> it was They did have a good month and a half of footy there for a bit. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was pretty nice to watch. Um, <laughs> but that is absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it means that um, the club becomes focused on, as we said, local juniors getting some you're not gonna get you're not gonna get much difference in results this year. But we need to have the right coaching structures and the right systems in place to allow Benji to get all that he can out of this team and to have as much people around him focused on the junior talent he has. And not looking at who's coming off the market at the end of the year. Yeah, and it, it it can't be. You don't want to end up in a situation like what they've got at the Bulldogs, where you know you've got the person that's in charge of recruitment treating it like it's a fantasy rugby league team. You want them to be an actual club that are building Phil, from Phil within. Well, I wasn't going to name him, but yeah, Phil Gould. Yeah, so the head of recruitment, Phil Gould, um, is working hand in hand with the head coach, Phil Gould to try and build the right squad. Um, and obviously the good thing is um, Phil Gould's got the approval of the uh, the bloke running the Bulldogs, which is Phil mm. Gould. Yeah. 
Yeah. So he's getting everything he wants in place. It should be absolutely perfect. And there's no reason why Phil Gould can't get the uh, Dalian Player of the Year at the end of the season. Well, Phil Gould thinks that's the thing to do. And, you know, what, what Phil Gould says goes because Phil Gould knows that Phil Gould's right. That's right. See? Proof is in the pudding. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, this is probably a big, a bigger success for the Tigers than anything they've done previously because every time they've had a change in the board, as you said, it's been a bit of it. And so they've been hanging on to what was there before and they only know what they knew before, so they just get someone else who's a photocopy of what they just replaced them with. And yeah. so you never get out of it. So now we're finally away from all of that garbage. We need the board for the first time to stop thinking about what's best for Balmain or what's best for the Magpies and think about what's best to get this team successful on the field because the easiest way to get success off the field is to have it on the field. You can't do it the other way around. I I think that a really big marker for this new board will be how much they embrace the MacArthur region. Um, If we see them really embrace that region, which for whatever reason – the West Tigers really haven't done since their inception as a as a joint venture club. They've kind of moved towards more towards the Balmain area for whatever reason. Um, if they move towards that area of Sydney, I think that will be a really good sign that this board it, it really is work, like looking towards the future because that's a massive area of Sydney. It's going to be the fastest growing area. It's going to be, I mean, that area of Sydney is going to end up being bigger than some other cities in this country. And someone's going to end up taking it over. And right now it's the West Tigers area. But if they leave it alone and they don't do anything with it, you're either going to see the Panthers eventually move down into there or you're going to see someone like the Roosters or the Bulldogs or someone like that decide to make it their territory. And if that happens, it's like a long-term issue for the for the Tigers. But right now, they've got the opportunity long-term to secure that area for themselves. And so that's what I want to see from the club over the next sort of six months. I want to see that commitment to the MacArthur region. Starting now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not starting last week because last week they thought Auckland was part of the MacArthur region. <laughs> Well, they they did sign a rugby union player. Did you say that? That's the one, yes. And the thing is, they're talking about how he's a 27-year-old winger. So you go, eh, he's in the prime of his career. Except in 15 days, he turns 28. (laughs) Um, So Solomon Alimalo, I know I've pronounced that horribly, and I apologise on that part. Um, New Zealand rugby union uh, winger. Yeah, look, he's uh, 1.96 metres tall. He's 100 kilos. Um, he's a big winger. But as the Tigers always do, they just pick up these random rugby union players for what reason, I don't know, and end up playing New South Wales Cup, and then they leave after a year. Yeah, I, I don't get it. And they've done it for a long time, and they do it every two or three seasons, and they they really act like it's going to be some major move, and it never, yeah. ever is, ever, no. ever, ever. And it's it's a Sheen's thing. Yeah. He's always done it. I think ever since he found Ricky Stewart, he's gone, oh, rugby's got all the best league players. I'll find the next best one. And yeah. And it never does. 
Yeah. And leave, leaving out the fact that Ricky Stewart was a rugby league junior and everything, you know, like yes. he, he just played some rugby union and then went back to league. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it at all. No, nah, makes no sense at all. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the West Tiger stuff out of the way. Yeah, you must, I mean, what was it like when you first heard about it? How excited were you? I thought, is it April 1? <laughs> and then I very nearly picked up my phone to ring you up. Um, <laughs> tears of joy. <laughs> I thought, no, 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 you'd just take the piss out of me. <laughs> I would definitely do that, actually. That's all I'd expect. Um, no, I was. you kind of just look at it and go, Finally, I didn't think anyone involved with that club would have the balls to do any of that. Yeah. And for Pasco to um, resign immediately, remind me of that old saying, a fool of his money are soon parted. Yeah. And that's what we have with Pasco and, and Chairman Lee, the fool and their monies. And thank God they're fucked off. Yeah. And the <laughs> thing is, you have a look on Twitter and Facebook, no one's missing them already. Yeah, nothing. There's there's not one person that's saying, oh, man, there's nothing. It's just like, thank God. The other thing, too, about having um, Barry Farrell there is he also knows how to handle the media. Yeah. And he also knows not to talk to them. He's a politician. Yeah. He knows that the media is a tool that you need every now and then. Mm -hmm. That's when you talk to them, not for your own sake. And he doesn't need it. Nah. And look, I, I don't like politicians from any party. Like, I just think they're all the same sort of people, right? But to be fair to Barry O'Farrell, he was the Premier of New South Wales and he resigned because he didn't declare that he, he was given a bottle of wine, right? Yep. Now, in terms of what Premiers of New South Wales have done... <laughs> <laughs> the man is a saint. <laughs> he is a saint. He is. He is. Um, and we won't venture down any more paths involving bottles of alcohol. No. Nah, based on nah. the other news that came out today. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was that was huge news. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, hopefully, and I say this with all good intentions. Hopefully it means that the Tigers stop trying to chase um, Jerome Luai. Mm-hmm. And this is not a criticism of Luai. I think he's a very good player, a very great player. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he suits what the West Tigers re- need right now. I don't think him going to the West Tigers suits him right now. And he should stay with Penrith. And, yes, it'll be on a reduced deal compared to what he's going to get elsewhere. But the thing is, you more often than not, you find that with these um, genuinely good playmakers – if they stay loyal to their club for a long period of time, or for their entire career even, the club will find a way to give them a job after they've retired. When you consider most players have got 30 years of life before they hit 65, that's a fucking big thing. Mm-hmm. And he needs to realise that. That Sure, you can go and chase an extra 500 grand a year, but when you retire at 35, you're still going to want to have a job because that money will eventually run out if you've got nothing else coming in. So take take the hit now and get that long-term life job afterwards at the Panthers and just stay at a place where you're happy. Then other than going to this place where, you know, you don't know what you're going to be in for or how long you're going to be there for. Yeah. Because that's the thing. As soon as you start moving around, people will start eventually 
not investing as heavily in you because I think that you're only coming for the money, whether you are or you're not. And so you'll find it harder to find a new club to go to if you once your contract runs out here. And it just gets harder and harder every time you start moving clubs. Well, and, and when you're a, on giant money, like, and there's not too many million-plus dollar players that get that money by moving clubs. Normally, you're re-signing with your current club. Um, when you do make that move, it, you have to hit the ground running and be absolutely amazing or it becomes an albatross for everyone, for yourself, for the club, for the coach, for everybody involved. Um, and so there's that as well to look at. I wonder if Jerome Luai is maybe the biggest loser out of this because, you know, there was massive money being talked about. And I wouldn't be shocked if that was reevaluated for the West Tigers at the very least. Um, when you're offering $600,000 more than the only other offer that we know is out there, which is the Panthers offer, which is around 850000 which is a good offer. But oh, yeah. they're going to be making Luai reportedly one of, of, if not the highest paid player in the game. And, and I'm like you. I, I mean, I rate him through the roof. But it doesn't matter who you are. If you sign that deal with a different club, um, it's a big talking point about everything that happens around you as a player. Even if you're playing well, um, it's something that people consider. So, you know, if he had an if he had an offer on the table with the previous board and he held off signing it, he, he might be the biggest loser out of all of this. But you know, when the consolation prizes you slip back into the Panthers side on eight hundred and fifty grand a year, it's it's not a bad consolation prize. No, absolutely not. He's not in a bad position, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If I were him, I'd I'd stay where he was. Yeah, he's, he's he's um he's still pretty young, so you know, go with the Panthers for another three or four years. It's not going to hurt you, even if you sign with them for two years, right? Which I mean, is what go, the Panthers are offering him—a two-year deal. Yeah, go back on the market afterwards. Cause yeah. Chances are Penrith might be able to get rid of a few more, you know, highly paid players because they might have some good juniors coming through. They're going to be cheaper, which will free up some cash for them. The cap could increase. You know, there's plenty of plenty of um, options ahead for him to get more money through the Panthers. Just stay where you're happy, man. Yeah, and like coming off contract basically at the absolute prime of his career as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's – uh. But I understand chasing money. I totally understand it. Absolutely. Now, over in England, they're bringing in a few rule changes. Yeah, they're completely changing rugby league and the lower grades over there. So anything below the professional level, um, the tackle height, I believe, is going to be sternum and below. Yes. Which is going to – they did a study and they looked at the – G-forces involved, and I believe they might might have used uh, mouth guards and stuff like that, that registered G-force. And they found that um, upright tackles, where the tackler is upright, um, they produced the most G-forces. And so to make the game safer, they're going to stop rugby league, (laughs) which is the only way to make rugby league safer. But they're going to make it so that you've got to tackle below the sternum area and anything above the sternum area is going to be basically penalty. Um, 
And uh, my first thought with this, there's two thoughts I have with this. My first thought is that if you can't tackle basically chest on chest, you basically have to, the thing that goes first into a tackle or into a potential collision is the tackler's head because you've got to lower your center of gravity and that means you're leading with your head into a tackle, which I think is counterintuitive to what they really want out of this. So that's the first thing that, that I thought. The second thing is that this basically creates a different form of rugby league, if you want to call it that. And as such, it means that the rugby football league, outside of Super League and maybe the championship, everything else below that, they will not be administrating rugby league competitions as we understand them under the international rules. And so surely in that regard, the International Rugby League should remove them as a permanent member of the International Rugby League and they should become maybe an affiliate member because they do have uh, two, prof- oh, well, a professional and a semi-professional competition. But they, I don't think they fulfil the requirements of being a full member of the International Rugby League. Hot take. Well, it's, I mean, do they? <laughs> um, Will they have what, more rugby league players, right? This, this Act- is the problem I have with all of this, okay, is okay. that why is it that the NRL or the Super League are allowed to fuck around with the rules however they like and the International Rugby League has to say yes or no afterwards? Because the International Rugby League is absolutely gutless and doesn't really exist. Right. So if we're going to do things about player safety, including the way we do tackles and that sort of stuff, that information should be coming from the International Rugby League. The NRL or the Super League or the RFL should not be leading that. They should be being led by the International Rugby League. How is it that the governing body of the game internationally is weaker than the two largest codes? You know, it's weaker than the RFL. Yeah. Let's be honest, it's actually weaker than Super League. Well, it's, I mean, it, it's basically just an office off of the Rugby Football League is the way they run it, you know. and um, it's, it's the broom closet at the end of the hall. Pretty much, yeah, pretty and much. This is the problem I've got with it. And this is why it is so hard to figure out what should be tried and tested and what shouldn't be. And so here's the issue here is they're trying to figure out what's the best and safest way to perform tackles. And the problem is as soon as you start having the impact of the tackle getting lower and lower, while it takes the risk of head-to-head contact or shoulder-to-head contact out of the equation, you start to you start to increase the chance of a whiplash-like effect in a tackle. And that's another problem because what comes out of that as well is if the player gets picked up and driven back because they've been hit by a driving tackle around the you know around the bottom of the ribs, for example, the big risk you've got then is when they come back down the back of the tackled player's head hits the ground and just boom. And, that's and not, not being considered either. That's the problem. They've only con- they've only considered the G-force of the mm-hmm. initial contact. Yeah, the, the thing... Look, these, these have been brought in... They, they did this study. And the reason it's been brought in is because they're worried about um, legal issues with players that are saying that they had... Um, brain injuries that come out of the game in the UK. And the thing is that in Australia, 
like going back to the 90s, there's been a consistent effort to try and remove not only um, head knocks out of the game, but illegal play, like foul play and stuff like mm. that. And it's been a very consistent thing right from the early 90s, basically, and even before that. I mean, you can go back to in the late 70s, early 80s, when the game in Australia was a real thuggish sort of environment and they knew that had to change. But, the you know, I can only speak about what they've done in the 90s onwards. And it's been a real consistent thing. Like when new information has come out, they have made sure they've acted upon it. Uh, they didn't do it as much in England. And there's still a thuggish element within the game over there where you'll see players and, and, and fans and stuff that still um, feel some sort of positive thing about a player getting their head absolutely knocked off their shoulders. I think that we're out of that well and truly in Australia, but they, they still have that over there. And I think that the fact that they haven't been as quick to move on those sorts of things as Australia has, and that you've got an authority over there that is basically piss weak, and they have never stood up for the game at any point ever. So why would they do it in a court of law either? And I think that they've just rolled over and just listened to the lawyers on this one. And I, I, I just think it's going to completely ruin the game over there it, more than it is now. Um, and well, the problem, the, I was going to say, the problem, with, the problem with this whole worrying about the lawyers thing yeah. is surely the RFL can't be held liable for injuries that players sustained in a time when they didn't know about CTE and the impacts of head knocks and stuff like that. Well, you know, you know it's, I mean? it's, not, it's not a negligence thing. It's a pure... Yeah the science wasn't even around to tell us that this was as big an issue as it is. Like when you being belted in the head was not good for you, but we didn't know how bad it was for you. We just thought, oh, you had a bit of a headache and you're a bit sick for a day or two and then you were right as rain. Yeah. Off you shoot. But the fact that there is long-term, very severe um, and very horrid sort of uh, circumstances that can come out of it if people do end up getting CTE, um, that's only a very much more recent thing. So it's going to be hard for, and I'm, I'm not saying that players are stupid for chasing this up. It's, there's no winners in this situation. And there's no way that, unfortunately, a player is going to get as much as they think they deserve in a libel case against the league for something that the league genuinely wouldn't have had any idea about at the time that they got all those injuries. I, at the, I guess it depends the defence that the league puts forward. And I don't think that the Rugby Football League has any interest in being involved in any sort of court case because they're all gutless. Um, and I, the other thing I would say is that, like, if you do have former players that believe that they are suffering because of the head knocks within the game, you have to prove it was the game and not substance abuse issues or, you know, other lifestyle decisions that they've chosen over over their time while they were... Like, in, like boxing in the off-season. <laughs> well, look, it, it does come down to that sort of thing, you know. When you get people that have done boxing and, and they've done, you know, and people that are well-known for having 
you know, substance issues and they have cognitive problems, you know, later in life, prove that it was definitely rugby leg that did it, not everything else that you put yeah. yourself through. That's right. And, and that's one of the things that I think it's going to be interesting because I think eventually a sporting body is going to put that forward in court. And oh, if they the, win, in if they, and look, you say win, it's a relative term. If they manage to not have to pay out damages to a former player because they proved that that former player had other circumstances which could have led to either a CTE or a, a loss of cognitive function um, than they would have otherwise had, I, I think that a lot of, a lot of this it would just go away very quickly for a lot of players. I, I you know, I one of the things with and anybody that wants to listen to, to what we think about CTE, go and listen to our uh, interviews, and we had two of them with Dr. Alan Pierce, who is one of the leaders in Australia in the the field of brain injury and sport. Um, I know you and me are both really, really proud of those episodes. We weren't really deep in those episodes. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that needs to be looked at is the genetic predisposition that a person has to uh, Alzheimer's and, uh, you know, maybe CTE and, and things like that. I think that that's an area and it, it look, it's, it is a dangerous area because you could get an 18 year old that does all of his tests when he's about to sign a new contract, his first professional contract, and it comes up that he carries the gene that makes him susceptible to CTE, you know? Yeah. And that's it. Is it career over? Is it, can you get away with it? Like, what do you do there? It's a real slippery slope there. It is, but it is. if we're going to change, an, if we're going to change entire sports and we're going to really get to the bottom of this and the, the idea is we want the sport to, be as safe as possible and we want to make sure players are as safe as possible, we need to look at everything. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, there was another thing that was brought up that they were going to look into as well over in England. <clears throat> um, this comes from the Dr. Chris Brooks, who's the chief medical officer for the RFL. Mm -hmm. And it's looking at the number of games that players play and how yeah. it can possibly contribute also not head knocks and the like, but just the constant collisions, how that can contribute to um, CT later in life. And so they were suggesting, I'm just trying to find the number here. Um, the changes said that forwards aged over 22 years of age will be limited to 25 full games or roughly 2,000 minutes over 12 months. And backs who are aged over 22 will be limited to 30 full games in around 2,400 minutes. As, as a winger growing up, I'm disgusted by that. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, though, like the first few questions that came up I saw about it, which yeah. is completely understandable, is so what if a player, say a fullback, has a great year, plays his 30th game in the semi-final. They get to the grand final. Sorry, mate, you can't play. Oh, and also, you were in line to play for for England as well. We can't because you've already played too many games. And so 
Klopp's has then got to somehow balance. <laughs> it, it, it's getting a bit beyond the pale there. The only way they can fix that is to do what I've been saying for years, shorten your season. Yeah. And, and the other thing, look, when the NFL were looking at their their concussion issue and they did the bare minimum, you know, uh, they looked at how players would train in the preseason and they cut back on certain elements of the training um, and that lowered the, you know, the collisions and the, the head knocks that players were taking um, and with snaps and stuff like that. But then they added an extra game to their season. So it, it kind of negated it, you know. I think that it would be really good for rugby league in general if we got to a point where we were aiming for about a 22 to 20 game season. And I think the NRL can get there eventually. You just need enough teams to make it viable for broadcasters. Um, What's the thing is that for some reason, England seems obsessed with having a home and away season because that's what they've always done. Mm. And and you you know better than anyone, the amount of club games that they have played over their entire history, like we're actually at a lower point in terms of how many club games they play over there right now. In the past, it's been like outrageous. Yeah, and it's also the, now it's the championship sides who are the ones most likely to have the most games played. Mm. Because there's more teams in the championship, they make the season a bit longer, plus... They're still in the Challenge Cup. Some of the lower teams, um, they will be playing in the 1895 Cup sometimes. And whether you're at the top or the bottom of the ladder, you still got to play in the promotion relegation games as well. So it's it's quite possible for a lot of players just playing club games alone will hit 30-odd games a year. Mm. And they may not even play finals football at that rate. Yeah, It's insane. Um and then you look at the other thing, and that is most of these clubs in the championship have got massive squads, yeah. and that is also not cheap. So not, it just means that, you know, if they made championship either smaller or just condensed the competition down, so you just played every team once, you didn't have to do home and away, right? You would then go from, say, having an 18-team comp, but there's just 17 rounds. That makes life so much easier for the club, the players. It's less contact for the players as well. Um, it also means there's less risk of having tired players playing against players who are fresh because they're cycling at different rates um, or a club having to bring through like seven seven juniors to play against a bunch of hardened, experienced players and getting absolutely smashed. Yeah, You don't have that risk anymore. You can still bring players through, but it's had a much more measured approach, which is better for the young players as well. Um, the, there's, it's just there's a lot more benefits than there is negatives out of it, and so I'm hoping it's something that the IMG looks at because even now the Super League it's got 12 teams. I think it's 12 teams in the top, or is it 14? It's somewhere around there. Mm. But they they will play 26 rounds. They make sure they play everyone twice, and they still play. They still play Challenge Cup. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. It, it really is, and you know, if it, the other thing to to think about is if you've got if you've got a junior base that has 
grown up playing whatever form of game it is where you can't tackle someone above the sternum and then you get to the professional level and you know you can carry that on in super league but what happens when those players play against a, you know teams from overseas who've been playing proper rugby league the entire time and now you can get tackled above the sternum you can it's everything below the shoulders um it's it's well, not going to be it, good for them it shows that the RFL isn't thinking that broadly the problem you got to with it too is um it's going to go through a lot of pain before it starts to be evened out because you've got a lot of players in Super League at the moment, right, who tackle the way they always have done. So you can tackle high wherever you want. They've always mm. done it that way. You've got to wait for all of those players to be out of the system, right, and then all of the players who have been taught how to tackle sternum is the maximum height. You wait for all of those players to finally be in Super League before you start to see any benefit there. And that could be 15, 20 years away. Because it's not just the players that are in Super League now. It's all the juniors who have come through being able to tackle that way as well. Yeah. So you've got to wait for all of those people to get out of the system and out of that out of that style of tackling. It's going to take a long time to bring that change through. And so pretty sure they trialled this in a, in a low-grade game earlier mm-hmm. this year, and there was a million penalties in it. Yeah, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. And it, it actually... It all makes me think about because, like, it would fundamentally change the game over there. And it made me think about what would you be looking at? And I thought of someone like a, you know, kick. Can you imagine you're not allowed to wrap kick our arms up? Like, yeah. what, how, how do you stop? How do you stop him? Like, the only way you be gonna... able to, you'll be able but... to tackle him, but you won't be able to stop the ball. He's just nah, going to so get it away. Right? The only way you're going to be able to do it is you've got to have you can't have face-to-face collision with a big player like that. They've got to be two players from either side. So you shut down the the um, possibility of him getting his arms away too much. Now, now here's the other thing, because that was the first thing I thought of, was a kick-out sort of player. And, you know, how difficult it would be to stop the ball in that situation. But really, the worst player would be a Toto. Yeah. Like a, a short, stocky, built like a brick shit house. Like good luck, t- like good luck tackling him Ooh. below the sternum. <laughs> I was say, another one, and this is going to sound short, because he's quite tall and he's got pretty good reach on him. Yeah, and so you've got to try and wrap his arms up, and he does have, despite the you know, not it's not just the length of his arms, he has a very good offload on him. Mm-hmm. Um, yo, as well, mm-hmm. very very good offload. You've got to try and shut down those those arms from getting the ball away. But at the same time, by by doing that, you're not being face to face in the contact. Or if you are, it's because there's three tacklers in there, which is automatically creating an overlap against the you know, and you're trying to stop an offload from a very good offloader, which means if he does get one away, you're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> and so. That- it, it's a it's a huge risk, and so teams. The first things teams are going to do is they're going to look at wrestling mechanics to find out a way to shut them down. And the first one is probably going to be to try and get the player to turn sideways. I tell you that the other thing to consider is like 
you know, you, you'd, you'd be looking at a different sort of player and all that. But the thing that I don't understand is that, like, people that are making tackles get injured far more than people that are getting tackled. Yes. You know? It's it's stray elbows, it's, well, it's, it's stray knees, that... it's, you know, you cop a hip, it's hitting another player, hitting a te- getting hit by a teammate by accident, swinging around and having a head clash with a teammate, all those sorts of things. I, you know, the number of times that you see an attacking player really get smashed like that is pretty low considering compared to how many times a defensive player gets properly knocked out. And a lot and of it's because there's the nothing defenders... to mitigate that at all. No, that's right. And a lot of it's because the defender is stationary. Mm. Yeah. What chance have you got if you're going to be sitting in front of a bloody runaway fridge? Yeah, exactly. You're going exactly. to get hurt. Um, that's why I think they'll, they'll try and find ways to try and get the ball runner when they're running with the ball to somehow get sideways. Because then you can go one person at the front, getting him side on. And you can have just another defender trying to block off the offload, which is likely going to be, you know, it's not going to go straight back. It's going mm. to go left or right. They can block one end, have a defender nearby on the other side. That's the only way you're going to do it because you're not going to run real fast if you're sideways. Trying to crab run, it's just yeah. not going to happen. And the problem you get there is that if you get caught sideways and someone decides to, I don't know, sort of like do some weird WWE suplex or some shit like that or try and push you back is that you then have the risk of the head snapping at the neck at a pretty sharp angle, then hitting the ground, which is pretty bloody savage G-force in two directions. So you're not fixing yeah. anything at this stage. You're just creating – because the clubs aren't working on a defensive method that is safe for their opposition players. I know this sounds crazy, but nearly every club doesn't really care that too much about the person they're tackling <laughs> compared mm. to the person they've got on their side making the tackle. Yeah. So – their goal and their their mindset is how can we affect this tackle, shut down the offload, and stop the player from running forward through us? They will find a way to do that. And that method that they find will likely not be safe. And, and when you consider all of these things, are they going to be playing rugby league? Because the the game that they're going to end up with it's going to have it's going to have some rugby league basis but it's going to be very different from the rugby league everyone else around the world is going to be playing i think like, the problem I, with, yeah. I i think the the most likely outcome to this is that you will see um amateur competitions break away from the rugby football league <laughs> and which we've seen in the past before yes and they'll say look the rugby football league doesn't govern us um, and I think it'll be a, a player push thing, and it might even be a club push thing because there'll be clubs that that they'll be like, "This is a mess. Like we can't survive this," and the players will be like, "This is ridiculous." And I think that you'll you'll see that sort of break away in the lower grades over there, um, because what this is suggesting is that it it would just be a third code of rugby. And I don't know what you could call that code of rugby, but it's not going to be rugby league. And, no, and rugby union is doing the same thing with their tackles as well. Yeah. And, they're and making like, them lower and lower. Yeah, and they're the, doing it in Australia, actually. They're doing yes. a similar thing in Australia. So the, what are they going to do, you know? Well, the, the crazy thing with the rugby union one, okay, is 
especially in the middle around the ruck, when it's got basically forwards on forwards, the best tackle you can affect is the one where you get the um, the ball carrier on their back. Okay, because when they've got to do the all, they've got to turn around and get in the right position so they can get the, you know, get the ball behind them so that the the defending side can't get at it. And if they're on their back, that means more chance for the defenders to get on top of them and try and get the ball back to themselves. That's that's the tackle you want to be able to commit every single time in union. When when you're in the middle, and they're going to try and somehow, I don't know, they're going to try and somehow in change the way so that there's less head contact on the ground or something like that. I can't remember it, but it was just a weird thing. I went, they, that changing that part of the tackle is changing legitimately the fabric of rugby union in the middle of the field. That That's just been the mainstay of the whole time is you've got to try and get that, that ball carrier on their back every time you tackle them. So they they don't really have a thing where tackling high or tackling chest to chest is – as commonplace as it is in league, mm. they need that player on their back. And so tackling low is something that is much more frequent in union than it is in league because they're going to have a lot of defenders on one ball carrier. So they can afford to go low. In league, it's it's a much more one-on-one game. So going high and trying to wrap the ball up is a much more effective form of defense. And both codes are trying to fuck with the fabric of the defensive methods used in both games. And neither of them are going to work because there is, and this is the problem that both codes have got, is none of them realise that you cannot make a full contact tackling sport safe on heads. The only way you can make it safe is if you're playing on the moon or in a spaceship with zero gravity. Yeah, and and (laughs) you're right. You're right. And look, if you... If you're not into contact, you you play touch footy or you play flag footy or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think that I wrote an article years ago saying, you know, playing rugby league isn't for everyone because it's a kind of a weird sport where the general idea is we throw you the ball and 13 other people are going to try and drag you to the ground. You know, yeah. that's kind of weird when you're like, yeah, throw me the ball. Um, so not normal people play rugby league. And I think, I think that, you know, if, as long as you're looking at, at concussion treatment and brain injury treatment, brain injury prevention, as much as you possibly can, um, if a player does sustain a brain injury, they get the right treatment before they come back. If they can't come back, they can't come back. And we've seen that in, in the NRL especially. If you can do all of those things and yet allow those that want to play the game and continue to play the game to do it, and we all know what we're getting into. Like, we all know it now. Yeah. You can't hide it now. It's not like there's anybody right now that doesn't know about CTE. You know, if we can continue to have boxing and MMA and things like that. I can't see why we have to stop playing, you know, rugby league. Because, no. <laughs> I mean, well, give me give me a whole rugby league season over, you know, two sparring sessions, not even a proper full-on fight, just two yeah. sparring sessions. 
I think what will happen is, and we can't be far away from it now anyway, is when a player signs a contract in any rugby code or any football code around the world, mm. part of that contract will be a um, a statement that you have to sign as well saying that you're playing at your own risk. Yeah. And, and I think that that will be part of that deal will likely be linked to a fund that I, I believe that there's a, a fund set up by the NRL right now for players that have injuries. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was deal. part of the recent negotiations with the RLPA was they wanted more money going into that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that oh. it'll be, it might be a, like, look, if we put this forward to players, um, you know, that, that one of the things is we'll put in a lot more money into that fund so that, if you've got an issue, you can come to this fund, you know. Yeah. The, the I guess the the area that you have a problem with is in the amateur levels of the game where they that won't be available. And so that's where you've got to look at the um, insurance side of things and, and, and how the game pays for its insurance. I don't have the answer for that. But, you know, I... I know the thing is, I know in Australia we we've got enough money in the game to look at those sorts of things, you know, and and do some work on it and get around that stuff. They don't have the money over in England. No, so they've got to work on things such as, um, you know, trying to find a way to put some of that money aside that they do have and build that build that nest egg up. Um, I don't know how they do it, but that's something that they they really need to look at. Um, I still don't know if they've got a properly unionised player. No, they player don't. On. That's no. something they need to do as well. They're not going to get that until they get a, a player union sorted out. Yeah, and look, the problem that they have with the player unions over there is the people that try and start it up uh, are normally players that like to hear their own voice. Yeah. And, and I think it turns off a lot of the playing group that it's the same old fucking heads that want to you know, do this sort of shit and their arguments aren't very good. And the other thing is like a lot of the basic things that you would put in place if you had a union, um, the game just doesn't have the money to do that. And it, it's it's almost a, a self-defeating cycle over there, you know, where it's like if you try and make a union and it's led by people that you're not real fond of and they say, well, look, we can't do a great deal at first, but maybe down the track, it's like, well, what are we doing then? And they don't go along with it. Whereas over here, we, even at the game's worst ebbs when there was not much money in the game because the game was unfunded by media companies that owned the game, um, there was still quite a bit of money in the game. Yes. And the, the players union still had um, authority. Yeah. And they were willing to show that by saying, you know, we will just not cooperate with the league at all. What are you going to do with no players? Yeah. And they were willing to stick to that as well. And that's what you need to do. You've got to be able to put your balls on the line when it comes to something like that. Um, so, yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting what they're doing over there. Um, it's noble what they're trying to do, but... Um, the problem with the way the RFL are approaching it is that going too much bullet gate about it and they're trying to rush it through really quickly without doing too enough genuinely good research. And the problem with the NRL is they're not sure which way to go. 
So they haven't really changed the method of tackling that much, but they haven't been overly consistent with how they deal with concussions either. And they're starting to get better with that. Mm. But I don't know. They, they need to start getting independent people as their chief medical officers, not people who are part of the NRL, because that way they're not going to be um, at the NRL's behest, so to speak. They're not going to be pushing the NRL agenda. It, the thing with that is, though, once you, as soon as you take a dollar from the NRL, you're not independent anymore. That's right. And, so and they, that makes it difficult, you know. So what they need to get is someone who's already a, a trained medico, obviously, and get a group of them together. They don't have to work every weekend. They just come together for three or four weeks every now and then to look at issues within the game and the way they should be addressed. That's it. It shouldn't have to be any more than that because not much is going to change with tackling techniques. They're just not. I I think that, as I said, I, I would like the NRL to up that fund for post-career uh, treatment. Oh, absolutely. You know, look at the insurance side of stuff. And then the other thing is just to continue improving uh, treatment from concussions and brain injuries. And, you know, I I think if you aim for a long-term goal of playing less games, that's a really good one. Um, Training is interesting because if – there's a certain element of training that helps you avoid injuries in games. So you can't eliminate everything in training because you're just going to end up seeing more players injured in games they're, because yeah. they're physically not going to be conditioned to the collisions. That's right. So um, it's a balancing act. And that the important thing is to get that balance right. And the the rugby football league. I mean, how many how many things have the rugby football league put in place over the last forty years that have been good ideas and and improved their game? Like you can point to them adding the Catalan Dragons, and that's about it. Removing the uh, international limits on players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and now you're getting technical. Yeah, there's not much. There really yeah. isn't. Um, so yeah, there's some interesting things coming out of England. Uh, as I said, it, it's, it's good that they're taking it seriously, but, uh, they need to be a bit more meticulous about what they're doing. And yeah. And like wanting the rugby football league to be meticulous is mm. like, hold, don't hold your breath, you know? That's right. Uh, it's not going to happen. They're, they're more than likely to, they're gonna, they'll collapse before that happens. And look, they're on their way to collapsing, as as we stand right now, anyway. So, yes. Um, speaking of collapsing, this is going to tie into something we'd already discussed. Going mm-hmm. back a bit to the Tigers here, only briefly. Okay. Because, uh, well, Fox Sports only know of one person that ever had anything to do with anything called the Tigers, and that's Benny Elias. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, no one else has ever played for anything called the Tigers. I know. I. Yeah. Um, Benny's come out for Fox Sports and said it's you know it, it's good to see the clubs decided to get rid of this board and they're going to move forward and he's he's all for the change. And it's interesting because <laughs> eight months ago he was defending Pasco because remember he was caught in the Tigers dressing room with a mobile phone in his hand at half time. 
That's right, yeah, and that's yeah. Not, you're not allowed that. No. And being saying, oh, look, he could have been on the phone to someone who needed his support. <laughs> and he was defending him over it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Benny's he's got the spine of a slug. I know, right? <laughs> so what's Benny said? What's he selling me? Um, oh, probably shares in in um, <laughs> careful in a in a multi million dollar complex careful. in Roselle <laughs> on the ninety fourth floor. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a lovely building. It's got a lovely kitchen. The ceilings are ninety three feet high. It's a lovely place. <laughs> Don't worry about the planes. I'll just go past your your, your window. <laughs> it won't be an eyesore. No, not at all. No, no. Um, he's probably also got some jelly beans for sale as well. They're that's just my, on the back seat of the car. Yeah, that's my favourite line. I used to tell uh, English fans all the time that I had some magic beans to sell them. <laughs> oh. oh man, can they stop? Can they stop talking to Benny? What did he say though? What was the I, thing that he said? I'll tell you what he said. I don't give a fuck what he said. Okay. You just <laughs> no, wanted to bag him. I just wanted to bag him. If there's an opportunity okay. to bag Benny, tell you what, I'll do you a favour. I'll go find it. But he was basically okay. just just um, praising the club, but he wasn't going, from memory, he wasn't going too hard. Yeah. But... <laughs> okay. Well, the article on Fox Sports says, thank God, Tigers legend praises greatest move in a decade as Pasco Fiasco ends. <laughs> The thing is, though, like, you're, it's funny when you'll read headlines like that and you'll be like, ooh, wow, really went in hard. And then you'll read the actual quotes and it'll be, they'll be, like, completely non-committal. He said, it's fantastic, great news for the club. They've had the courage to make a massive decision, which is the club's greatest step forward in the past decade. It was definitely time for a massive change and upheaval. They've had the courage to do it, and congratulations to them. He's stroking cock so much that it sounds like he wants to get a job there. Yeah. Um, Barry, Barry, don't hire this fucking idiot. Please, (laughs) Barry. Please. What if, what if you let Benny buy the club, Andrew? Let Benny buy the club. Oh, no. Why? (laughs) Just for fun. Just for fun. Okay, you can buy the Panthers. No, 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 no. (laughs) Okay, hang on. Let's get one that we'll agree on. He can buy Parramatta. He probably lives there. I, I wouldn't even do that to Parramatta. Hey, <laughs> Canberra. I wouldn't do that to Canberra. They've suffered enough. Actually, you know what? I know the perfect club for Benny. What? He can buy the Bears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Living on past glories. That no chance of coming back. That would be great. Benny can run them. You know, I was, I was, uh, on a completely different subject. I, I just. You just triggered something in my head then. Um, I I love looking at videos online, careful, of <laughs> stadiums, new stadiums around the world at different levels. Whether yeah, stadiums, been, yeah. I look at stadiums online all the time too. Yeah. I like the stadium on stadium videos. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, man, there's so many jokes I can come up with right now about turf and all sorts of stuff. Um, but I won't. No. So I've, I, I watch a lot of these uh, videos of the stadiums that have been built, uh, what ha- their stadiums have been refurbished and stuff like that. And there's a lot of interesting stuff around um, 
And I wonder if, you know how the NRL has this massive amount of money that they've basically got in a bank and they're looking to invest in something. Mm-hmm. And you've got Penrith Football Stadium, which they've had $300 million allocated to them by the New South Wales state government. And that $300 million is just going down every single day because of inflation. Like by the end of, by the time they actually turn over some dirt, they'll be able to put a new scoreboard up and a lick of paint or something like that. But I wonder if the NRL would be willing to invest a portion of their money into a new stadium in Penrith. And I'm not talking about 50 million bucks or anything like that. But if the Panthers put money into it and the local council put money into it, I wonder if the NRL would also put money into it knowing that long-term they could probably get money back out of that stadium and that venue. Um, because we've seen, we've seen that happen with some, some sporting leagues around the world where they've done deals like that, you know? I wonder if the NRL would buy the ground and charge a rent to make their money back. Yeah, I mean, that sort of, that sort of deal. Yeah. I mean, the, it, I know that the ground right now, I, I'm pretty sure it's basically owned by the council. Yeah, and it would oh. be cheaper for the, the NRL to buy the ground because mm. if the ground costs, you know, $45 million, the cost to build an actual fucking stadium on there and keep the thing running would cost much more than that and to keep maintaining it. And the NRL is never going to make their money like just through rent. Yeah. But it's an asset that's going to be appreciating. So mm-hmm. they're making rent on top of it. And then when they do decide to sell it for whatever reason, they will make money then and then yeah. some. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they hadn't thought of that sort of thing in the past, to be honest. I mean, if the New South Wales Rugby League had done that throughout the 40s and 50s. Oh, fuck me. My God, they'd be – oh, man. They, it'd, can you imagine if they owned, like, even 25% of the cricket ground? Oh, yeah. Well, think about it. If they owned where the sports ground was. Oh. Um – Hell, Leichhardt. Yeah. Because when, when Leichhardt came along, it was the you know the jewel in the crown at the time. I'm talking 1930s here, 1940s, but mm. it was one of the top grounds then. Um, and we're not talking about the way the actual ground looks. We're, we're talking mostly about location. Yeah, the land, yeah. Because if they just said, you know, in 2000, okay, we're going to sell the land and we're going to put units on there. Mm. They'd have bought that land in, say, 1930 for... I don't know, fifteen hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Sold it in two thousand for you know two hundred and fifty million dollars or something. Hell yeah. Well yeah, I'm pretty sure that's one of the things that the Canberra Raiders did over years where they they purchased property and they're quietly pretty well off club because of it. And yeah. like the the Panthers like that, I think the difference with the Panthers is you can actually go and see the land that they're on, which they brought many years ago when there was nothing there, and and have built upon that, built their their leagues club and everything else upon that, and that was very long term for them. And I mean now, you know, if times got super tough, they could sell part of the car park. You know, <laughs> um, we saw the the Sharks do a similar thing, and look the. The ultimate, oh, my God, everything's fallen apart deal with the Sharks is that they can sell the ground that their stadium is on if they really had to, play at the SFS and be, like, very well off. 
you know yeah. so it's to have those assets is really cool and um i i think if the league had have been able to buy into Parramatta stadium they probably would have but there was there was no real need for that that they just weren't that wasn't the part of the deal sort of thing yeah um i think they would invest in if there was a rebuild in the olympic stadium at, at homebush but I don't think we'll see that anytime soon at the no, moment. No, no. But because that money's allocated to Penrith at the moment, it just made me think about that. Well, getting back here, because I I do think though that um, I'd like to see a a big stadium in that Penrith area. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see one for Campbelltown. Campbelltown needs to actually get a genuine stadium that doesn't look like something that's slapped together with a couple of pieces of corrugated iron. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. It needs to be a proper stadium with seating all around. Well, and... look, if they if they built a fifteen thousand seat stadium, right, that had the ability to be built upon, so that it could eventually one day be, say, a thirty thirty five thousand seat stadium, but it was it was properly down there in the Macarthur region. Is that an investment the NRL should look at? You know, and just... how much do you put into that? So I just went with a solid one, very similar to Amy Park and the one mm. at the Gold Coast, which I mm. think is just under thirty. Yeah, that's. I think, it's, I think it might actually be thirty. That'd be just perfect. That's all you need. Yeah. And the thing is, okay, it's not just NRL games that get played there. There are a lot of international games that get played there that you know never get mentioned anywhere. Yeah. Um, so Italy's got a – they've kind of got an, a team of Australian-based players, and they often play a lot of games um, there against uh, Greece, mm-hmm. similar thing. Um, <clears throat> a lot of Pacific Island matches are played there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does get a lot of football being played out there. So it doesn't they, – they don't need to just look at how many games the NRL, NRL club's going to play there. There's a lot of other football that gets played there, and a lot of yeah. junior football gets played there. Yeah. And if the NRL went and said, okay, we're going to take 50% ownership of Campbelltown Stadium, the one that we build from scratch and get it perfectly built up. Yeah. And then say to um, the FFA, we've got a football grid out here. It's rectangular. Would you like to base your team out there? This is how much rent is per year for them. Yeah, yeah. And then, bam, you're getting regular usage out of that ground then all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and it's great for that region because, again, football all the time. And as I said, the best way that the NRL or the West Tigers should be functioning is they should be playing as many games as possible at Campbelltown. They can take two or three games to Leichhardt if they want. Novelty sort of things, kind of like when the Bulldogs go back to Belmore. Yes. That's fine, okay? But you need to be playing 75% of your home games in Campbelltown as a minimum. Right, that's what they should be looking at. That's what they should be working towards. If they can do that, the state council, the local council, and the NRL are most likely going to dump a ton of fucking money in there to get it done. Mm-hmm. Simple. It's not like West Ashfield are uh, broke either. I mean, they they bought a very big um, dilapidated building in the middle of Roselle, <laughs> and they're going to upgrade it. They're going to pull it all down and build a big another big leagues club there. So you know. Dude, I, I, own got an, I own an apartment on the 94th level of that place. Don't yeah. talk it down. I'm not talking it down. I'm talking about how expensive it is there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of expensive uh, high-rise buildings in, in Roselle, uh, Benny Elias apparently took part in the review that was undertaken by the uh, the West Tigers. 
uh, Look, the Holman Barnes group. I, I, I think that they probably talked to a lot of people, and I oh. could see that being a function of distribution of responsibility. It it, like. Be. There would be nobody that would look at the situation and say, oh, this looks all right to me. I reckon you should steady the course, you know, stay the course. But if you talk to, say, 50 different people and you go into that meeting the other day with the board and the chairman and the CEO and said, look, we talk to all these people, look at the list of them, and they all think you guys have got to go. you got to I, check out. you got to check out this quote, though. Okay, go on. From Benny. I participated in it, so it would be nice to see the outcome, but from what I can see from a macro point of view is they've made the right decision. It's almost spot on to what I recommended. I'm very pleased. Yeah, see, that, but that's <laughs> what I mean. Everybody that they talked to when they said, what do you reckon we should do? They would have said, get rid of fucking everyone, first of all. Like, everyone would have said that. Yeah, and then put me in there. Yeah, probably. It's, yeah. it's very Tim Sheens-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, no thinks that, everyone thinks they can do the job. Like... Oh man, um, yeah. There's a picture of Pasco, Benny, and and the hat. Three three play three people that the West Tigers do not need involved with them at all. I think yeah. two of them are gone, and one is trying to get in. Leave him out. I mean, Benny Elias never played for them. He played for Balmain. So what are you talk about. He's a Tigers legend. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we we all love him for hitting the crossbar in '89. Oh, it was the best thing ever. <sighs> I want to hear about how the West, uh, how the Tigers lost those grand finals again. I always love hearing about that story. Oh, Terry Lamb with a head-eye tackle. That was intentional. <laughs> <laughs> the referee. Oh, Bill Harrigan. Fuck off. I, I loved uh, – I once <laughs> saw they uh, asked – I think it was Mal Meninga and a couple of other Raiders players. They were like – what do you think about when the the Balmain Tigers always bring up the grand final? And they were just so bemused by it all. Hey, they were like, it's just kind of weird to us. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something about the 89 grand final right now. Okay, hmm? the fact Balmain were in front at half time really was a fluke. Yeah, they were up 14 to six at half time. But if you look at the try they the last try they scored before half time. That was the one where I think Ciro got the ball after being kicked downfield. It bounced horribly, and they just kept going through the hands. And it was a it was a a very fluky sort of try. And that's what put them so far ahead at halftime. They weren't they weren't out of the game. They did deserve to be up at halftime. They and the game was played very fast. Yeah. But they weren't eight points in front better. And that was shown in the end. That's and my take, take. I tell you what, it takes a lot to come back from being eight points down at a grand final. Right. All you got to do is take your best defenders off the field with five minutes to go. <laughs> there you are. There you walk. <laughs> you know, you're the head coach. You know better than me. <laughs> do you reckon Warren Ryan, I mean, there are some teams in our in our NRL that could use his coaching right now. Hey? I'll tell you what, the West Tigers have killed for his coaching. You know, I know. And look, a lot of people gave him shit over that. And I completely get what he did and why he did it. He wanted two fresh defenders on the field because the two blokes he took off had played every minute of that game to that point. Mm. 
So he put on two defensive specialists. Just so happens that those two plays he put on were the ones that Steve Jackson ran through to score the Toronto <laughs> win game. We all, uh, make, we all make mistakes at points, don't we? But anyway, um, yeah, it's been an interesting week. Now, to top it all off, mm-hmm. um, Dean has hammered us over this. You've got to talk about the uh, the launch over in America. Did you see that Aaron Woods was interviewed on American TV about rugby league and he's talking about the big hits? Yeah. They must have been I, the ones that he saw. Look, I, I watched it. I I don't know what... I don't know what the ideal thing is to do in that situation. I I tend to think this whole thing is a junket. I like I I remember I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. I watched a video about um IndyCar going all in on a race in Las Vegas and it being their golden goose sort of thing. And unfortunately it just didn't work out for them. And I see a lot of parallels here. Like the the stadium there, it's a beautiful stadium. It's the sort of stadium we should have in Sydney, but we won't ever because our politicians just aren't interested in spending that much money on a on a one stadium. We'll spend, you know, on fifty seven different stadiums that none of them work real well. Um, but like that that stadium is mostly going to be empty at this stage. They said they'd sold fifteen thousand tickets so far, which is not good, I don't think. Um, and I, I just think it's, I think it's going to be a bit of a non-event. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it all works out. I hope it generates money for the NRL because I want the NRL to do well. But the only I just going to generate genuine income though is if it becomes a regular thing. Is, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Formula One learnt that. Like yeah. the only way you're going to make genuine money out of out of the American market if you're not fully entrenched there is you have to be there frequently and make it an event for the Americans. So you've got to kind of let the Americans take over. And it's like, if anyone's watched any of the races in the USA, especially this year when they went to Miami and Las Vegas for formula one fans, most of whom are from Europe. It was, it was, it was hateful to watch doing all the show busy shit that they did on there. And, you know, all that sort of, palaver they went on with before the race even the drivers hated it but you've got to let the yanks do that because that's what they like about their sport and you've got to let them have a little bit of control over it like that and i think that sort of ceremony that they were trying to get away with in the uh f1 this year would actually be um more more workable in rugby league and so they'd be able to get away with it a bit more um yeah, that that showy stuff and get some celebrities in there, that sort of thing. Um, and the NRL sh- should be really strongly trying to line itself up with the NFL really hard, um, not just a a little brief thing like this. I also don't I don't think the slogan of um, you know no helmets, no pads is a great idea because you're basically going over saying well. You know, your game's being played by a bunch of soft pussies. Come and watch yeah. some real men play a real big, tough game. And while that may be true, it's not the best way to market yourself in a foreign country who loves playing the game with helmets and pads. It, I tell you what, it is very different for them, though. And and there'll be there will be some people that will that will be NFL fans or hockey fans, which is another area I'd mm-hmm. look at. That will be like, 
what would what would these collisions be like without you know helmets and padding you know they'll, yeah. they'll want to have a look at that i just think that especially when you go to somewhere like las vegas where there like there's an event there'll be events on right now and there'll be events on tomorrow and there'll be events like and there's always something going on i don't think the this nrl event is going to stand out at all because there's always some event going on in Las Vegas. I mean, you look at the F1. The F1 turned up, had the race gone, you know, and, and then Las Vegas is like next. Because yeah. that's just the sort of city it is. It's it's kind of a weird place like that. Um, I think that, and I understand that they're going over for, there for the gambling money, and that's why they picked Vegas. But I think that an event like this maybe would have, got more traction in a more appropriate like if they'd gone to say san diego where there's not a great deal of huge events every single day basically like there is in las vegas um in la they would have been swamped it's la's too big of a city it, it just you know it's like a a bunch of different cities all crammed into one new york is a similar sort of thing where it's just too much going on there but i think you could have picked somewhere that had less noise and less things going on and, and had a better football event. But I don't think that they're going there for a football event. And, you know, if, I, I don't know. I just think it's a – part of me thinks it's a big waste of time. And it's not about the rugby league aspect of it because I just think the rugby league aspect of it is – it's they're not going to be there. They're not going to be back playing there in 10 years' time. They're not going to have an expansion club there. So what the fuck are they doing? You know, it's yeah. all about the gambling money and who knows if that's going to turn out. Well, if they're yeah, smart, they'll, they'll allow the um, USA local competition to play a, like two or three games at that same venue in the lead up to that NRL game. And then maybe around that period as well. I don't know. They, they need to try and get the local competition being played there as well on that same stage to get eyeballs on that as well. Um, yeah. That's the, how you make it useful. Um, like I, I can tell you, a few days ago, the NBA had its NBA uh, Cup, I think they still call it, that the finals were in Las Vegas. And a few weeks before that, it was Formula One race. And then you've got the fucking U2s playing at the the is it called the eye the big global the globe thing have you seen that place oh the sphere there the sphere that's it i called it the eye bloody idiot um you could put, yeah, a, you could put an eye on there it's like an absolute ton of uh tv screens pretty much there's going to be an nrl player on there you watch but yeah that like so youtube's youtube is playing there all the time and there's just so much noise going on in Las Vegas. I think it's just going to be another thing, you know. They've got their NFL team in the Raiders now. They're probably going to get the fucking A's playing there. They're going to get an NBA team. It's just, I don't know. I, the thing I, I don't I'm not okay, a believer but... in this concept, but I will say this. I want to do say something about this, right? Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of people that are going over to watch these games and they're all going like, Oh, Las Vegas. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. I'm calling it right now. Somebody needs to go there and really, really go out, go on a Coke binge, right? <laughs> Just don't, 
don't just say you went to Las Vegas and then you go in your hotel and it's 11.30 at night and you're like, ooh, up past Matlock. <laughs> go and fucking do it properly or shut the fuck up about what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, all right? Want to see rests? Who is... I want um, to see some ro- deportations. Are the Roosters playing over there? Yes. And they've just signed Michael Jennings? Yes. <laughs> I want to see... I want to. I want to hear about what the county jail is like. Yeah. I, I want to hear about. I want to hear people. I want. I want some people to go missing in the desert. <laughs> okay. I watched 127 hours the last night. I want to see someone have to cut their arm off. <laughs> A front row forward for the for Manly, perhaps. Why not? Fucking <laughs> do it. If you're gonna if you're gonna go on Twitter and you're gonna say we're hoping Vegas stays in Vegas. Fucking do it. Lose a See, fucking limb. The problem I've got, okay, is if you're going to send two players over to try and talk the game up and promote it and sell it a little bit, why would you take two blokes who can barely speak English? <laughs> Look, why didn't they send over Reese Walsh, okay? Because there's something for the for the ladies to check out. Mm-hmm. And then you also send over Big Nelson, a big giant. And that way you've got um, some big meaty human who looks like he's just going to build anything that looks at him wrong. And this little pretty boy, you go, yeah, we both play the same sport. And you're like, the fuck is this weird game? I need to see this shit. You see yeah. that two blokes who look the same and can barely talk. You're just going, eh, whatever. I, I guess at this stage, they probably got who they could get, you know, <laughs> but I, it, hopefully they do that sort of thing as it gets closer. But like, how much is it going to cut through? Like it say they were playing a, the first round of an NFL game in Sydney and they had the running back for the Packers and the fucking wide receiver for the, I don't know, say the Dolphins. Like, I, who would care? No, no, would what, care. what we've got to do, okay, while we're there, on the day before the NRL season kicks off, yeah, is we need to have one of, or get, of all the players there, right, the NRL players there, get them to go on the field and have a crack at playing NFL and then get two NFL sides to come over and have a crack at playing rugby league. I'll go you one better. I'll go you yeah. something that will do better than that. Okay. They play snooker. No, 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 no. <laughs> pick a player. Pick a player. Any player. Pick a player. Aaron Woods. Aaron Woods fucks a Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> that would get so much more publicity. That's the pregame show. <laughs> What is this hairy man doing fucking a Kardashian? <laughs> you just fall asleep. <laughs> Telling you. BMZ would be all over it. <laughs> oh, dear. That's... Uh, can, we go back to look, can we go back to looking at stadiums on the internet instead? I've been studying this, Andrew. Trust uh, me. Too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, wow. I, I'm I'm lost with that one. You've got that, me. I'm telling you, that would cut through all the noise. And make another weird noise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we need that one. <laughs> You know what the other thing is, okay, that's that's over there at the moment is um 
there, there's a couple of Australians who are in the WWE at the moment. Yeah. Like, if we're going to go cross-promotion, we should try and find all... And there's obviously Aussies in the NBA. Yeah. One one we should probably steer clear of. Definitely. Um, get them all together. Talk, get, the... them talking, get them talking about the NRL, mm. uh, you know, at the NBA. At um, you know, at the on WWE, I don't care if they know what they're talking about or not. I think the the women's champion in the uh, WWE is from South Australia, so obviously she's got no idea. Yeah, Ray Ripley isn't that '09? Yeah, yeah. But there's another guy I think that's on. I, I don't know. I've not been watching it for a long time now, but there's another guy on there. I think he might be from Sydney. All right. Yeah, mate, get him talking about it. That's what you got to do. Yeah, it's like there's the, former rugby league players actually in the WWE. There's a guy that was playing Super League several years ago, played a lot of games, and he's one of the one of the guys on WWE roster. Oh, really? I don't know who he is. I uh, oh, there's obviously the, Daniel Vito over there. Yeah, I've never seen him. Uh, like, I don't watch much wrestling, uh, but I I haven't seen him on the main cards. I don't know if he's on the main cards. Who's that? Um, you know, the thing that I was thinking about this the other night. In an ideal world, the person they would have had doing all this shit would be would have been Jared Hayne, and for obvious reasons they can't do that. Um, but he would have been one person that would have been absolutely perfect for this sort of thing to be cross promoted with. But you know, I mean, yeah. for the obvious reason that can't be done. Um, Luke Menzies was the player. He's 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 uh, Ridge Holland in the WWE. All right. I've never yeah. even I've never heard of his real name or his WWE name. <laughs> he played for he played for nearly all the teams, but only played nine games all up between 2007 and 2015. Okay, but he knows the game. Um, who's the other one? Who's that big guy who used to play for the Giants? Uh, Earl Crabtree. Earl Crabtree. His his father, I believe, or his grandfather, um, was a a huge, um. Huge name in the wrestling industry in England. Mm-hmm. Um, Shirley Crabtree. Yeah. There we go. I've got to figure out whether... Oh, what was... I don't have it on here. But, yeah, it was definitely one of his very close relatives. Um, but, yeah, he was he was a huge star over in, over in England. Um, and many people in, in America who had probably been following wrestling for a long time would know of him as well. Because back in the 70s and 80s, obviously, they travelled all around the world a lot more frequently. Um, and there's a lot more wrestling organizations as well doing it. Um, so they all got to know each other pretty well back then. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of links between rugby league and the WWE. But it's not, it's not too long a stretch to try and infiltrate that a bit more. And it's a big audience, like a massive. Nah, fuck a Kardashian. That's better. I'm not. I'm not saying replace it. I'm saying that that's that's like the uh, the pregame entertainment. Augment it. Augment it. You'd have to with all <laughs> Aaron Woods in there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about promo. I'm not. I'm not interrupting your pregame um, entertainment. That's that's locked in. Uh, speaking of fucking things, how about David Norfoluma doesn't like being told to train differently to anyone yeah. else. You know what he can fuck off <laughs> right off. <laughs> Completely. If, if the club, if the club can get rid of Potato, Hat Stand, and David Nogo, all in the space of a week, fuck yes. Well, if I mean, if you went to him and said, "Look, if you're unhappy 
we're willing to part ways with you and just have a release of your contract if that's what you really want with no money paid out. Man, um, I don't even care if, they want the, if he wants the money paid out. The sooner yeah. the club is rid of him, the better. Yeah, he just seems like he seems very entitled, doesn't he? Yeah. You go, mate, you do realise you're a winger and a shit one. I think the thing about him being like the all-time try scorer for the West Tigers, like, okay, good luck with that, you know. Look at how long it's taken him to do it. (laughs) It took him ages to get past Benji Marshall, a half, who also spent plenty of time away from the club. Yeah. Nofalum scored 104 tries in 198 games. Yeah. I, I mean, if they could offload him, you just do it in the second. Oh, absolutely. Without, just, without blinking an eyelid. It's it's crazy to me, though. Like, how how many times have you ever heard of a player, and we're in December, mind you, blowing up about what they're being asked to do at training? I mean, it's not like they're flogging everyone in training in December. They're kind of just keeping their fitness, you know. Yeah. And anybody that's fitness has fallen right off. And I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to be, you'd have to have let yourself go pretty hard for a club to get on you harder in December. What is the crazy thing? He hasn't played a full season since 2021, and that was yeah. the first time he'd done that since 2017. Oh wow, that's interesting. Okay, so he's. And he got dropped uh, was it this year or last year. I think it was at the end of this year he was he was dropped, wasn't he? Because uh, he, he played for the Storm last year. Yeah. And that was his big, like, moment in the sun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he botched that. Uh, yeah, he's, he's uh, overrated, overpaid. Yeah. Yeah. And overhyped. And yeah. now, now that he's uh, he's his life support's been cut off because Pasco and Chairman Lee absolutely fucking loved him. Um, I don't know. Maybe he will be gone soon. And I, if I'm the Tigers, I'd say, mate, go over to England, enjoy yourself. Mm. <laughs> we'll pay your wage. I don't care. Yeah, but we'll pay it all out in one go, so we've got the cap free for next year. <laughs> Like take yeah. a hit this year. Don't go sign on any big plan name players now. Save that cash. Pay Nofaluma out. Piss him off. Right? It all take that hit this year, it's all gone and done. And then next year, no Nofaluma and you don't have his wage to worry about. Because he's on half a million. Ridiculous money. What did you think of the uh Sydney Roosters sign on that rugby union player? Yeah, they're talking about he's a, a big name. I was like I've never heard of him. No, neither have I. Like the the rugby union types were really upset that he he'd gone. It's only a two year deal. Um, Hang on, the rugby union types are upset that he's gone, but they're happy to take Suwali. Yeah, and that they pick kind a lane, of, guys. It, it, it's kind of interesting because they're at the same time they're not happy that Suwali's going there either. It's a real strange situation. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't understand signing. I mean, look, we'll see how he goes. He's a rugby league, uh, league junior. Like, he's a, a rugby league player that went and played union and was just really good at it. Um, but, and, and, yeah, he's he's going to the Roosters because he wants to give it a shot and see how it goes. And he said it was a very you know, difficult choice for him, but he couldn't say no to it. 
And uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty bold move by the Roosters, and we'll see how it pans out because, um, you know, it it can it could go it's going to go one way or the other. You know, he, even if he's a just an okay player, it's probably not going to be seen as a big success. Um, if he kills it, it'll be great, but then you've only got him for two years and see what happens after that. And, you know, there's always the possibility that it's just, he, he doesn't go well. Like I remember when, do you remember when Gareth Thomas, was that his name? Former Welsh Rugby Union player? Yes. yes. And I, I remember watching his first game and by half time, I was like, they need to get him off the field because he's, he's going to get hurt, you know? Yeah, was I'm trying to remember now. Was he looking really unfit when he was playing? He just was. Uh, he. It was like getting a, a, a like a Massey, a Ron Massey Cup player, and maybe even lower, like a local A grade player, and chucking them in a first grade team, and they kind of know what to do, but they're just being absolutely battered and that the way that he was trying to tackle players and stuff was um it, it was dangerous and I, I really did i was like this guy's gonna get hurt they need to get him off the field and i think he was knocked out like cold twice in his first game uh it was it was not good he was from memory he came over in his mid-30s yeah yeah he was an older player yeah I think, yeah, yeah, I think I remember that. I, d- I can't remember how many games he played. It wasn't too many, but uh, it was, um, he was shocking. Just looking him up now. Um, <clears throat> 2010, he came across. He played two seasons with the Crusaders, 31 games. Yeah. Um, and played three test matches for Wales. The Un- rugby league team. Yeah, undefeated in in league. What do you mean in the in the test matches? Yeah, who'd they play against? Scotland beat them sixty to twenty two, mm-hmm. and then a week later, Ireland beat them thirty one to thirty, and then a week later played France and beat them twelve eleven. Oh, nice! It was in the European Cup. I heard something that Wales actually do good a couple of weeks ago, and I can't remember what it was, but they were actually good at it. Splashing. No, no. Oh, man. I wish I could remember what it was because I was impressed. I was like, oh, Wales actually contribute something to humanity. Okay, let me check. Things that are great from Wales. Castles, Cardiff. Hang on. (laughs) Ten best things to do in Wales. 30 things Wales is famous for. 30? 30. (laughs) Are they like five of them are Tom Jones songs? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to go from thirty because number one's pretty shit. Okay, okay. Um, where's number thirty? Here we go. Welsh colloquialisms. Yeah, I'm not. Nah, nah, I'm not interested in that. Dylan Thomas Who? was a Welsh poet and author born in Swansea in 1914. Nah, next. Um, what did he do that was any good? Do not gentle into that good night. I, I never heard of it. Um, the Gower Peninsula. Craig Gower? No. <laughs> no. Oh, wow. There's a bit of land sticking out into the water. How amazing. Called, hang on. Here's one you'd know. Being called Jones. 
Yeah, there you go. No, that one. <laughs> the Welsh Corgi. Welsh Corgi. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Picturesque coastline. Well, it's not something that the whales didn't actually do that. That's just it's, nature. I know. Apart from that, it's fucking cold and windy. The Welsh National Anthem. Can, do you know what it is? It says here, you will often hear Hen Lad Fire Nadu sung in Welsh. Yeah, only if you're oh, unlucky I mean, next. Old land of my fathers. Yeah. British fathers. Um, waterfall country. Oh, wow, there's water pouring off a cliff. So, so more more nature. Yeah. Famous Welsh people. And they've listed three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, about 12 of them. Oh, really? You ready? Yeah, go, go. Anna Ren Beaven, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, Gareth Bale, Shirley Bassey, Michael Sheen, Saunders Lewis, um, Joe Calzaghi, Roald Dahl, Catherine Zeta-Jones, John Rhys-Davies, Dylan Thomas, and David Lloyd George. Did they say Tom Jones? Yeah, okay. no, no. What? They didn't say Tom Jones? No, he's not famous. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Um, the harp. They invented the harp there, huh? Apparently. Yeah. Um, the Snowdonia National Park. More nature. Yeah, it's just trees. Mail order. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> Getting things ordered to you by mail. That was that was something apparently that they they thought up. Coal mining. Yeah, because mining's never been anywhere else. Yeah. Um, Cardiff. <laughs> just Cardiff. Yeah, they're just looking at a map. That's it. Pirates. Pirates? Because they're fun and lovely and cuddly and cute. Oh, jeez. Um, Celtic myths and legends. Like King Arthur. He's English. Shh. <laughs> Here we go. Love spoods. Maybe Aaron Woods could use one of those. <laughs> They're just starting to say random things. Like, you're going to, like, get down to number three and it's going to say post-it notes. <laughs> the Prince of Wales. He's English. <laughs> St. David. I bet he's English too. Um, it, it, one of them's going to be pizza, hey. <laughs> Tuna and corn pizza. <laughs> Many great TV shows and movies. Such okay. as? Okay, here's the popular TV shows. Gavin and Stacey, Torchwood, Hinterland, and Merlin. Oh, I, I... Other, others include Doctor Who, Keeping Faith, uh, Bang, Ryan and Ronnie, The Crown, The Pembrokeshire Murders, and Sherlock. No, none of them. Cheery. Um, films, Twin Town. How Green Was My Valley, Tiger Bay, and The Proud Valley. Oh, it's all about nature. Yeah, it's all just, yeah, it's all valleys. <clears throat> Many, though. Um, what's this one? Welsh cakes, borough brith, and other Welsh foods. Yeah, Welsh cuisine. Everyone's real big on Welsh cuisine. Call a traditional brothel soup made with potatoes, swedes, carrots, leeks, and meat. Mmm, I like having a leek in my soup. So it's, they're basically talking about stews. <laughs> Welsh rare rabbit? Rabbit? No. Cheese-based sauce served over toasted bread. That uh, fucking, they're trying to, it's a toasty, all right? <laughs> Lava bread, which is an edible seaweed. 
<laughs> Welsh cakes. Um, that was number ten. Number nine, rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, English. <laughs> um, long place names. That's fair. Male voice choir. Hang on a second. Is that fair? Have the, I don't know. I know they've got some long names, but you know we've got Wollongong. Well, yeah, Tuna Barabran. Yep. I mean, they've got ones where they don't have vowels in them, so that's probably a bit trickier. Yeah, true. They just have um, places that are, are noises. It's basically what happens. The way they name their places is they let a three-year-old bash on a keyboard and yeah. someone presses enter. There you go. Exactly. Uh, male voice choirs. Male voice choirs. Yeah. Um, right. Leeks, the vegetable. <laughs> that's, a, that's a plant. A plant, whatever it is. Um, daffodils. That's another plant. You can't yeah. just say plants. It's just more nature. Castles. Actually, yeah. that one's pretty. That one's pretty fair. Really? Yeah, they've got a lot of pretty decent castles. Okay, but are they are they pretty decent castles? Or are they real castles? No, they're real ones. Yeah. Did they yeah. did they stop anyone conquering Wales? Well, Wales nope. is still run by Wales, isn't it? Uh, well, is it? As far as I know, it's run by the Palms. Well, the the. Castles that the Poms built. Well, exactly. So they're not fucking Welsh. Sheep. That's fair. That's number three. Yeah. Number two, the language. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> number one, the flag. The flag. What an amazing list. <laughs> <laughs> they said leaks. <laughs> And they never mentioned Tom Jones. Imagine being like, you know, one of the great things about my country? Turnips. <laughs> Fucking turnips. Well, the Irish have got potatoes at number one to ten. Yeah, but how good are mashed potatoes? Oh, you can't beat mashed potatoes. Oh, no. mashed potatoes are so good. But if someone said, hey, do you want some leeks? <laughs> do you want some mashed turnip? Yeah. You want some... <laughs> hey, do you want to see our national daffodils? Oh, well. How you doing, Wales? Uh, they haven't got the internet. That's not on the list. I dare say they've tuned out from us a long time ago. How about mining? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like Team America where they're like, America, fuck yeah, books, fuck yeah. It's like you can't just say stuff. <laughs> mining <laughs> leaks. Oh, far out. That's great. Oh, wow. That was amazing. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, that's that's a good way to end an episode. Yeah, it always is. Um, you know, we don't need to apologise to the people of Wales. They live there. They know what it's fucking like. Poor cunts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. It's been a good day today, today though. Uh, you must be very happy, and yes. it's all uphill from here. Yes, look, I'll, I will. Um, I will one up Benelice because mm-hmm. he obviously was um, supporting the the hat and the spud while they were there because yeah. he's spineless. Um, 
but for years I've been opposed to them and been criticising them and everything they do because the facts were pretty damn clear that they were shit at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to take this as a victory entirely constructed based on everything I did and no one else. Yes. This is a victory for me, and you're welcome, Tigers fans. That's what I do for the rugby league community is I make the game better. Your insight into understanding that finishing 16th last year and then 17th this year, uh, two wooden spoons having not played in the finals for 11 years, gave you an indication there might have been an issue with the board. Oh, it goes back further than that. Yes. They've been on a downhill slide. I mean, I pined for the days when we were finishing ninth again. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. these two Muppets took those away from us. Yeah. I want my nine back. At least allow there to be the opportunity to have your heart broken. Yeah. I want I want to have hope for more than 35 minutes of the season. Yeah, yeah. It'd be good to get all the way to that point where the Tigers always famously got where they just needed to win one of their last four games and they managed to lose all of them. <laughs> but for all four games, you're like, we just got to get this one. And the last three games are against the three worst teams in the comp. We just got to get one win here. I don't care if it's by one point, but it's all we need. And they lose by 40. And you go, there's just one more chance so we can still get there. And they lose by 40. And you got one more chance and they lose it by two. And you go, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I want that. Yeah, that's, that means you've got at least 20 games of hope. Exactly. Instead of none. So let's get back there. Um, yeah, the uh, I dare say I'm not expecting the Tigers to be and this is what's going to happen, okay, and just before we do wrap it up, is there's going to be a lot of people saying, oh, who are you Tigers fans going to shit on now that they Pasco and, and Lee are gone? You know, if you get another wooden spoon, you go, you know what? I'm fairly certain we're still going to get a wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be the last spoon they get this year for some time because they should be able now to move forward and be focused on trying to get success on the field because they've actually got people from rugby, rugby league who understand that success on the field helps create success off it and not mm-hmm. have two Muppets who try and think of doing it the other way around. I would be surprised if this time next year, Benji Marshall's still a coach, just because I think that's going to be part of a process <laughs> that would happen just anywhere. I think if he can get them off the bottom of the ladder, mm-hmm. I'm only talking like, you know, if he can get them to 11th or 12th, I think he'll keep his job. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be a huge, um, you know, goal in front of him in far, as far as what they need to be successful in the upcoming year. Yeah. But if, if I think the first one will be, you know, try and double the number of wins you've had for the last two seasons, which is, you know, you've only had four. Try and get to eight. Yeah. And I know that doesn't sound like much, but... Eight wins can get you quite a bit further up the ladder. As I said, it might be up to 11th or 12th. That's better because when you've had eight wins, you're a lot closer to the eighth place team than you are to than when you've only got four. <laughs> it's a big difference. And when yeah. you've got eight wins, you're closer to getting a 50% win record for the year. And that's that needs to be your you – now, when you're doing a rebuild – 50% wins for the season should be what you're planning to get to in your second season after you've bottomed out. Yeah. And you want to keep increasing by about three or four wins every year. So, you know, three or four years after your rebuild began, you should be getting close to competing for the top four. I think that's the way a lot of teams have functioned in the past, and that's where the Tigers need to look at it now. Um, 
And I've got a stat to try and back it up a bit. Okay, hit me with it. Uh, I just got to find the bloody thing. Where okay. was it? Just before um, you find it, it's I, yeah. I, you know what I think about whoever <clears throat> it was that advised Benji Marshall to take this coaching job, and he takes the coaching job. Tim Shane, the guy, the guy that says he's going to guide him through the first two seasons and then hand him hand it over to him leaves before the first season's out, and then the CEO and the entire board is gone. And that that's all before he's really started his first season as a first grade coach. And it's just, I mean, this is, it's such a no win situation for him. I feel very sorry for him. It's the worst possible start you would have as a coach, it, it, like in the NRL, it, you know, so it, it's just, and we said this when he first got the job, whoever advised him to, to take up the role that they offered him should be ashamed of themselves. Absolutely. Um, so this is a stat because I've, I've proven before already statistically that the West Tigers are basically an extension of the West Magpies. Yes. So the Magpies took 27 years to win their second premiership. Mm-hmm. The West Tigers are about to enter their 25th season with one title already to their name. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Two more years and they're going to get the title. <laughs> now, I was asked this by a Parramatta fan uh, and a regular listener. Uh, Lightning McQueenbian, mm-hmm. and he said, "Who's going to win the next? Who's going to win a premiership first, the Tigers or Parramatta?" So I gave him that Tiger stat and I said, "Parramatta took 36 years to win their second, and 2024 will be 39 years since their last. So Eels have missed their window. Tigers have still got two years left to reach theirs." Well, there you go. There's reason for optimism. That's right. Parramatta will remain premiershipless. I don't know for how long. Till Sterlow comes back from his shoulder injury, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! What other chance have they got? They nah. need they need a blonde hair, blonde long haired halfback. Um, and I've got a young fella. He's got long blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Um, he's pretty quick of feet. He's got good hands on him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still probably about. 16 or 17 years away from being, you know, old enough to play in the NRL. But uh, Eels, if you want to, if you want to spend some, you know, send some money's way, give him a contract. Um, look, probably two, three hundred grand a year. He'll be happy with that for the first 15 seasons. <laughs> um, I think that's fair. Yeah, so do I. I'm happy to sign a 15 year deal for him to be a Parramatta player starting now. Um, and obviously he won't get to play any NRL or any rugby league for that matter until he's at least, I don't know, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's got six years to get himself kitted out and get ready. Because I think 200 grand a year is just about how much you need to get a membership and buy the right amount of gear, yeah? That's only it's, fair. It's pretty close to that, yeah. Yeah. Especially with the travel he's got to do from Melbourne. Yeah, it is a fair way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll just make sure I don't give him a haircut. <laughs> should be fine. Um, you're welcome, Parramatta. Going to work out. It's going to work out. So just stay strong, Eels fans. I'm working on it. I'm doing my best to help you. I've helped the Tigers fans out. I'm also helping out Parramatta fans. I don't know why, but I am. I'm just that good of You're welcome. <laughs> the next Sterlo. Yeah. How's that for you? Can't believe you want him to be a Parramatta eel. No, I don't. I just want him to take their money. Okay. Yeah. When he makes grade, 
he's only got to play one game and then just go, I don't want this deal anymore. And then he can go to, yeah, anywhere, I guess. He'll end up being a rooster. <laughs> no, you know he'll get. He'll end up being a, a fucking rabbito. Three hundred rabbito. He'll play five hundred games for South. Yeah, <laughs> and they'll they'll play nine grand finals in a row against the West Tigers and beat them every year. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then the Tigers will offer him a deal when he's forty-two. Yeah, and then oh. they'll get to the grand final and they'll lose to South again. <laughs> Ah, well, there you go, South. So I've got your ten premierships in a row as well. God, I'm just, I'm just, I'm giving away premierships here now. Yeah, it works out all right. Yeah, everyone's winning here. That's how, yeah, that's how good a mood I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, thanks for tuning, in, everyone. Make sure you check us out on all the socials. Subscribe, like, share our stuff around. That'd be awesome. And we will catch you all next time.